welcome to episode six of Opera After Dark. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Ooh. Man. Here, let me. Let me. That could have been I'm so blowing good. on a wine bottle. Oh, damn it. Yours is so much better. It's <laughs> wine on your face. <laughs> That's how it's done. My name is Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And we're going to talk to you today about Lorenzo da Ponte. <gasps> Lorenzo da Ponte. Librettist for Mozart's greatest operas, The Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, and Così fan tutte. Così fan tutte. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, I'm going to jump in and talk a little bit about the wine that we're drinking tonight. Tonight we have a U.S. Cabernet Sauvignon. It's Columbia Crest. Um, their Cabernet Sauvignon exhibits classic bold flavor along with delicate aromas and fruit complexity. And Naomi has said it is the favorite of the wine that we have had on this series so far. Um, I picked this because one, it's from the U.S. and one, it's called Columbia Crest. Um, to spoil the ending for everybody, it's because Lorenzo de Ponte had to flee to America mm -hmm. and basically started the Italian Studies program at Columbia University. Really? Yes. yes. Wait, maybe I did hear something about that. Isn't he buried somewhere near near here? Yes. yes. So he was buried somewhere here being in New York. New York right. City. He was buried somewhere in Manhattan, I believe, and then that whole cemetery and church was like removed and excavated and moved to Queens, and so like no one <laughs> oh. really knows exactly where he's buried. Okay. Wow. But there's a memorial stone for him in a cemetery that is under the JFK airport flight path. Oh. So <laughs> you can go How visit sad. this like <laughs> this stone memorial to Lorenzo de Ponte in the beautiful borough of Queens. Wow. Jeez. Oh, and what what year did he die? What are his dates? Do we know? He died in 1838 and he was born in 1749. Oh. So he lived a pretty full long life. And okay. it's really interesting because he basically was born at a time when Handel Baroque composer was at like the height of his fame, mm -hmm. and he died right before Wagner hits the height of his fame. So wow. that's yeah. a pretty good stretch, you know. So should we jump right in? Do you want to give a little? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're nice and nice and subdued. Ooh, mm -hmm. mellow. Just, this wine, is... look, this wine's great, folks. Mm -hmm. It's um, good wine. It's a little bit uh, drizzly, dreary outside. It's kind of right. overcast, so... Alright, I'm just a comment. We Keeping it cozy. Proceed. Mm. Okay, so like I said, he was born in 1749 in a small town north of Venice. His actual name was Emmanuel Condiano. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the firstborn son of a tanner. They were Jews, which I can say the hard J because I am Jewish. Um, when he was 14, his father decided that the whole family was going to convert. <laughs> sure. I'm sorry. Don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> you can respond to everyone. It's Fair okay. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Okay. I just have never heard that before with, oh. a, with a hard J. Is that, is that a thing that people say? No, it was an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Oh. Huh. Do you want me to re-record that? Because no, 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 it's, no, it's fine. fine. Yeah. All right. I just, the rest of us will say, use. <laughs> Sound like Schmidt on New Girl. Jews. <laughs> okay, but his family converted to uh, Catholicism <laughs> because so his his mother died and then and his, his like father five. was a widower for right. a while and then 
When his father was older, he fell in love with a 16-year-old Christian girl. Ooh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so... How old was his father at the time? Too old to be marrying a child. Yeah, but leave it at that. And this so, is a different time. 16 at that time was like about... Prime time? Like marrying age, I feel like. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, so basically, she was... Protestant Christian? No, she was Roman Catholic, not Protestant Christian. She was Roman Catholic Christian. A lot of contradictions here. (laughs) I know. Gotta get it all straight. (laughs) So she was a Catholic, and so in order to marry her, Mr. DePonte made the whole family convert to Catholicism. Oh, and at this point, Lorenzo was... Wait, was he Mr. DePonte? He wasn't. He was Mr. Cognano. Um, The bishop of the town that they lived in, his name was Lorenzo DePonte, and apparently it was really common practice for um, converts to take the uh, surname and for the eldest son to take the full name of the priest that converts them. So he became Lorenzo DePonte. No shit. Yeah, that was a thing. So so (laughs) to clarify, Mr. Cornigliano mm-hmm. marries this 16-year-old, right. forcing them all to convert mm-hmm. to Catholicism, and then... Emmanuel becomes Lorenzo, Lorenzo de Ponte. De Ponte. Wow. And, but we don't know how old he was at that time. He 14. Was, yeah, he was like a, a young teenager. How weird would that be if all, if all of a sudden... Your stepmother was two years older than you? Well, that, <laughs> that, but... <laughs> I mean, also, you're 14 years old, and they say, all right, son, we're converting, and... Your name is different. <laughs> Probably weird, but it actually worked out to his advantage because mm-hmm. once they converted and he took the name of this priest, the, like the whole like Catholic Church and that priest kind of took the family under their wing, and the boys got put in school. Yeah, and they paid for their education. Oh. Yeah, and so it was kind of like giving them a leg up in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's always it's always the church we had uh, with the last two episodes. We had the churches causing. The loss of scrotums. And testes. And testes. <laughs> and now it's the, the church is giving education. Right. Yes. yes. It's, a double-edged, it's a double-edged sword. All for the sake of music. Mm. So when well, he... well, in this case, they were educating them, I think, to try and funnel them towards the priesthood. Yeah. Uh, so he was at school, yeah. but he um, was really sort of deft at languages. He learned Latin, Hebrew, Greek, but apparently his real passion was... Italian literature and became really obsessed with like Dante and Tasso and people like that and really obsessed with poetry. There's this story that um, when he was in class, he and his best friend, if they got bored, they would write verse and so one would write a line and then they'd pass it to the other and they'd like write it back and forth until the poem was done. Fun. Nerds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. So he was in school and everything was great, and then mm-hmm. he turned 19, and Bishop de Ponte died. And he di- when he died, the um, subsidy for Lorenzo's tuition just went. Mark. So um, mm-hmm. he was told that you know he was old enough now and he could transfer to the seminary and become a priest. Um, and in his memoirs, he writes that if he did something like that, it would be wholly contrary to his temperament, his character, his principles, and his studies which we'll find out much later is super true. Um, <laughs> but he went anyway, so he, you know, became a priest at the age of 24, and after six months uh, there in their tiny town, he sort of escaped and moved to Venice. But we should cover why he escaped or left. Yes, this is good. Okay, so apparently, while he was a priest 
taking care of this congregation in this small town. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up taking on a mistress. He had two children mm-hmm. with her. What? Yep. And also, he was basically accused of running a brothel, like, across the street from the church. So, <laughs> so everything a priest should not do. Right, right, right. And then he was accused of not only running the brothel, but living at the brothel with his mistress. <laughs> hey, and their know? children. And illegitimate children. <laughs> yes. Did he ever so. deny this? or? Uh, that's a little bit unclear. Do we um, know if this it's is also... founded or if it is hearsay? Um, we I don't, don't know. We don't have concrete fact. He was accused of this. People suspected this. He never really owned up to it. In the trial, he was accused of public concubinage and also abduction oh. of a respectable woman. So I think that in addition to his whole issues with like running a brothel, he mm. was also known as being like a big ladies' man and right. lots All of right. very respectable women kind of fell for his charms. All right. So mm-hmm. I can't. I couldn't really find pictures of him when he was younger. Mm. You just really see pictures of him when he's in his like seventies. But apparently, he was mm. very, very handsome. Very, very handsome. Yes, there I was it. one line in here. In there's this article in the Guardian called "The Phoenix" that's all about him, mm-hmm. and it described his look. Oh, I can't find it, but it was something like. His wild white hair and flirtatious eyes. So this is when he's older, of course, but he was, yes, with his flirtatious eyes and mane of white hair, DePonte charmed all he met. Wow. All right, so clearly he was was, a silver fox. (laughs) Silver fox. We know we have a silver fox in opera, Dmitry Havorstovsky. Oh, that's true. Very true. Although he's, like, he's not old. No, but if we were casting a DePonte opera... He would be perfect. No. Well, no. I don't know. Well, I just feel like keep, let's keep going. Okay. Because yeah. we've only like sort of touched the tip of what yes. he's gonna do. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so he, you know, he escapes to Venice. He fails to basically stand for himself at this trial. He's found guilty, or and he flees, or runs, mm-hmm. or With, escapes without his mistress, without his kids. All the same. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened to those people. Okay. We don't know. We don't know. So, um, just to give you a little idea of what Venice was like at that time, mm-hmm. it this was is important. basically party central. So, carnival is going on for six months out of the year. Um, there's a, a quote in this autobiography of De Ponte that this woman named Sheila Hodges wrote in 1985, and she talks about how... Um, Masks were universally worn all the time, and this gave the wearers license that would otherwise have been impossible, and it also led to a particularly classless society. Nobleman and beggar, artisan and poet, gondolier and visiting royalty mingled under the clear winter sky. So it's basically this perfect environment for, like... Debauchery? A runaway priest who was looking to do some damage. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently he was so wild that he even like scandalized the venetians in his escapades yeah well he we'll go to that in in a second i was gonna say yeah yeah. what is that what what do you mean by that hold that thought well we'll, yeah we'll get to it so in his memoirs he says he went to venice and he devoted himself exclusively to and i quote cards and love (laughs) and so there are always stories of these these women 
that come and throw themselves at him, like impoverished noble women who are running from their husbands. Um, he tells the story of this beautiful, mysterious young lady um, whose name is Matilda, and she says she's the daughter of the Duke of Mantua, and her father tried to force her to marry an old man, and she refused, was imprisoned in an ancient castle from which she escaped in the dark of night. So she arrives, and this is the story he tells, she <laughs> arrived in Venice, and she met Ponte twice, and after that she shows up at his apartment and begs him to run away with her. She says, don't worry, we'll totally be fine. I have a casket of diamonds with, with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's like, who okay, who, yeah, who doesn't? He's like, that's cool, let me think about it. So um, he turns around and the woman that he was currently living with apparently like met him in, at the door and chased him around with like the heel of her shoe. Um, and so he's still trying to figure out if he wants to stay with this woman who's like attacking him with footwear or leave with this woman who with a casket of diamonds. And while he's making that decision, she gets kidnapped and taken away by the Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the end of that. Where, where is he telling this story? In his what? memoirs. Why do they all have to have a damn set of <laughs> memoirs? I don't know. This seems really I guess I'm glad that we do have them. Otherwise, what would we be talking about? I mean, right. this seems really entertaining. And in the memoirs, he does say that his grief knows no bounds, but then he never mentions her again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, I, Wait, don't know, so, I don't know if this is the same woman. Wait, you had a question. Yeah, so I think I might have just confused this in my own head. Mm -hmm. But I thought you said when he escaped after he was in trouble as a priest... He went to Vienna. Venice. He went Venice. to Venice. Okay. I was just, for some reason. Gondoliers. That's my dolls. own thing. Yep. Now, well, then, later Carnival. on, you know, later on, I, I understood it as Venice, but then I was like, wait, I thought it was in my own bad. Yeah. That's okay. So, so I don't know if this is the same woman in this story, mm -hmm. but I also came across a story where apparently while he was in Venice or near Venice, he got into this affair with a woman by the name of Angela Tiepolo. And this woman was what the Venetians called a Barnabotti, which was, quote, poor members of the old nobility who, although often penniless, were forbidden to work because they were noble. That's the woman that chased him around with a shoe. Oh, it is her. All yep. right. So she apparently was, like, hugely into gambling okay. and had massive okay. gambling <laughs> debts. And, like, her and her brother, like, dragged DePonte into this, like, crazy gambling debt with them. Mm -hmm. And DePonte's brothers reportedly, like, had to extract him from the situation because it was getting so bad and Wait, they were manipulating brothers, him. His brothers still had contact with him even though he fled? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, they did. Okay. I mean, he had a couple brothers and they seemed like a, you know... So, keep tabs on each other kind of family. I'm a little bit hung up on the fact that these people like were poor but then could not work. Was that like a societal or was that a self-imposed like I shan't be working because It sounds self-imposed. Yeah. You know. So but, so like a little bit lazy. It's beside the Well, point. and also beside like it's like a socially thing. anxious about mm -hmm. doing things that make them appear below their station, right? Right. So, Even though but anyway, but asses. while he was there, he um, he he taught. He was a tutor. Mm -hmm. He wrote some poems that society um, sort of took on and really enjoyed. But one uh, fun little fact is that um, 
Um, one thing that high-browed, high-minded people did to amuse themselves in Italy um, was they at would this all time. sit at this time. They would sit around in their salons, and their uh, Italy was very famous for something called the improvisatori, who basically were like the precursors to modern-day rappers. They would sit around and they would just like make up verse, and that's how they would entertain themselves. Uh, and Duponte got really famous in these circles because he was like so good at this. So he was like. He was, he was a rapper. He was a freestyle rapper? He was rapper? a freestyle rapper <laughs> in, oh, in Venice. That's amazing. Which is pretty God. cool, right? And that sort of helped him, like, all of this is sort of leading up to his development as a librettist for, you know, mm -hmm. a couple of the greatest operas in the canon. But, yeah. Oh, my God. Cool, right? That's yeah. super cool. That's cool. That's, <laughs> I'm, like, imagining people. I, they, they weren't wearing powdered wigs. Were they wearing powdered wigs? Probably. Probably. Oh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And rapping. This is like, I'm picturing like Hamilton in my mind. So like, if they did a drunk history on Lorenzo de Ponte, it would be Lin Manuel Miranda. No. Yes. Please do so. that. Please do that. I'll call him right now. We <laughs> <laughs> like we reference him way too much. <laughs> like there's a mild obsession. It's never enough. Oh yeah. That's fine. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't that cool? Like yeah. in rhythm, or it was more. It was like. Poetry in rhythm. I'm sure it was in rhythm because the Italians had like an elaborate rhythmic mm -hmm. structure in their. Wow. Um, they were given a theme and then they were given a rhythm, um, and it was said that he could spout off up to a hundred lines of verse to musical accompaniment. To musical accompaniment. Like she they said, gave him it's the like pseudo rapping. It, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's awesome. It's pretty great. We, He's a master is any of this at it. like did they ever write any of it down or it's just not that like, I've found, but Oh man, that's cool. I it's think, cool, yeah. I think you should try something Lorenzo no. de Ponte style. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that so to much anybody. Hamilton talk. All I oh, have that's left true. in my head is the opening Is Hamilton? Yeah. <laughs> this is true. That's yeah, awesome. Okay. All right. Allegedly um, while he was working for some of his rich patrons, he was boarding in the house of a woman named Laura Beldawi, or Belaudi, excuse me, um, and she lived Super with her hot. son. <laughs> well, actually, this doesn't involve her. Um, she lived with her son Carlo and Carlo's wife, a woman named Angeletta. Um, and as we said, DePonte was super charming, very good looking, very suave, and he soon found his way into basically the petticoats of Angeletta. Ooh. Um, informed of this, Laura confronted DePonte, who replied that if the charge was true, may God strike me with a thunderbolt while I'm celebrating Mass. Um, at that time, he was working as a priest. Again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, again, allegedly, um, oh, Laura sort of backed off, but soon afterwards, she herself observed Aponte in the doorway of his room, cheerfully exhibiting himself to Angeletta in the room opposite. Yes. And so he was asked to leave, and he <laughs> did, but he didn't leave alone. Um, while he was sort of having amorous dealings with Carlo's wife, he had also been obliging Carlo by carrying letters between him and his mistress, who apparently was also sleeping with DePonte. Um, because why wouldn't you, right. apparently? Dude's a bit of a sex addict, <laughs> right. is what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. And so before he packed his bags, he forged a letter from Carlo to his mistress, promising her that he, would, he was soon going to murder his wife, Angeletta. <gasps> 
So De Ponte showed this letter to Angeletta, and she agreed to elope with him. Um, and so they sort of ran off together, and they lived in brothels where they organized entertainments. They played, he played the violin in his priest garb because he didn't have any other clothes at that <laughs> That's point. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the violinist priest in a brothel. Right. Um, and eventually, <laughs> because of this like itinerant lifestyle, he was denounced to the authorities. And in 1779, he was tr uh, tried on the charge of malavita, which translates into bad living. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, he was denounced to the authorities. And in 1779, he was tried on the charge of malavita, which sort of translates to bad living. Um, a lot of people mm -hmm. say that that really wasn't what they were trying to charge him with, because basically most Venetians at that time were sort of, you know, Living it up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he was writing a lot of seditious verse against the government, so they were trying to find anything they possibly could to pin him on. Um, in any case, he was banished from Venice for 15 years, Dude. and that's how he ends up two years later in Vienna. And apparently... Uh, so, ah, getting it right now. Getting it right yeah. now. <laughs> so apparently, if he... So he's banished from Venice, and if he was caught coming back to Venice... It stated that he would be in his punishment would be to be imprisoned in a room without light for seven years. Jeez, Lame. awful, right? And then oh. also in some of my reading, there was this very long article published by the Schiller Institute. They claim that oh, I saw that, yeah, yeah. They claim that there is a letter between uh, Zauguri and Casanova because De Ponte became good nice. friends with Casanova right. while he was in Venice, and so. Uh, basically, they think that Casanova informed on Da Ponte to Zaguri, oh. and there's letters to prove it. Um, but Da Ponte apparently never knew about this. And huh? so these two men, Zaguri and Casanova, that were fr like allegedly friends with Da Ponte, had a hand in getting him in trouble in the end. And also, apparently, that his, uh, his banishment from Venice uh, was done in what they call the usual Venetian manner. There's this <laughs> mouth of the lion in St. Marco Square in mm -hmm. Venice, and they they placed like they placed something in the mouth of the lion to kind of like denounce him. So. Which was a usual banishment. <laughs> right? <laughs> a, a banishment in the Venetian style. The Venetian style, style. yeah. So you think Casanova was just like this dude is, is too much competition. He's really, like, <laughs> harping my game. I need this guy out of my town. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it, which is kind of weird, though, because later Casanova, like, sort of helps him. Hmm. And so... Yep. Maybe Casanova didn't really know that he was getting DePonte in trouble. I'm not sure. He okay. Knew. But I feel like he, he knew. knew. Yeah. So. so this was 1779. So timeline-wise, what, what's what are Mozart's dates? When was Mozart born? 1751. Oh, okay. Sorry, 1752 dies in 1791. Mm -hmm. So by 1779, yeah. Mozart was like Mozart. He was yeah. Mozart. He was yeah. doing some stuff. Yeah. There was actually another quote that was talking about how. DePonte ran wild until the age of 14, at which point Mozart had already composed, like, X amount of mm -hmm. symphonies, operas, you well, know, that kind of thing. So. Duh. <laughs> well, it can't all be child prodigies. Right. <laughs> we have a lot more to say about the crazy life of Lorenzo DePonte, but I think I'm going to cut us off for this episode before we get 
too much deeper into the craziness. Mm-hmm. So join us next week for part two of the life of Lorenzo da Ponte. Yeah. We'll get some more. There's always more. We'll get some more. With this guy, there's always more. Oh, geez. This guy. Yes. What brought him to New York City? That's right. Is that too much of a spoiler? No. Because we talked about it. No. 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 Oh, we did? We did? (laughs) Yeah, we we mentioned it. With the wine. Yeah. Shows what I know. Mm. Oh, yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's been paying attention. So join us next week for part two. And I'm Elspeth. I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Check out operafterdark.com. And subscribe if you haven't already. We love our subscribers. Yeah. Oh, and and leave us an awesome review on iTunes, mm-hmm. please. Even please if you're do. lying through your teeth. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just make it cool. <laughs> and with that, goodbye, everyone. Bye. That's good. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a like a chill episode. Like it a is. relaxing. How much time did that record? I can't tell. Um, I'll wait till Elspeth. Five, one, what? Cadences. <laughs>